The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Welcome to the Saints Happy Hour Podcast with hosts Ralph Malbro and featuring bloggers Andrew Juge of SaintsNation.com, Kevin Held of The Team Drops the Ball, and Dave Cariello of Canal Street Chronicles. This podcast is nothing but serious football talk and hardcore analysis. Which four of you would survive the longest in the zombie apocalypse, and in which order would you die? Well, Ralph, no offense, you're going first. No, definitely. <laughs> no, no, no. The zombies would smell Dave's sugar blood and target him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even have a joke, Dave. Dave smells like nougat. Now here's your host, Ralph Malbrose. All right, welcome to the Saints Happy Hour podcast. We are joined by Brian Kiris of Saints Nation and Eric Ga- Eric Galco of Optimum Scouting, uh, and we're going to talk draft for the next thirty uh, minutes or so uh, because everybody has, of course, uh, donated and and you donated the money, so you get the extra podcast, and this is one of the extra podcasts you get this month. Eric, thanks so much for giving us time, guy. My pleasure, man. What's going on? Uh, nothing much. So, of course, this is going to be uh, a Saints-heavy uh, podcast. Uh, so, I guess th- I want to jump in with uh, edge rushers because that's sort of where Saints fans, besides corner, we're really fixated because we, we look at the Saints defense and look, they Kikaha got injured before uh, even training camp last year and they were sort of desperate. They went to Paul Kruger and he was just awful he had one sack and, and he was a he was a guy that was basically a black hole of the opposite he was a cadaver. Of cam jordan he was a cadaver so we're just fixated we were like we gotta get uh an edge rusher that's just, just a competent guy so my question to you is who's a guy obviously garrett's not gonna be there but who's a guy that you feel that you're like he is gonna come in and from day one he's not gonna be a a dozen sacks, but he's going to be a guy that I am really, really sure is going to be six to seven sacks and is going to be a really decent NFL end from week one. Yeah, you mentioned Miles Garrett in that, in that intro there. I think Miles Garrett, Solomon Thomas, John Allen, those three guys, I'm expecting based on all I've heard. So things can change. I'll kind of Miles Garrett going first overall, but I think those three guys are going to be the first three picks in the draft. I think all three of those guys are going to go someplace in the top four, the sixth pick. Um, I'd be surprised if any of those guys left that area. So for the Saints fans, I think it's going to be out the window that he's going to be available. I know those guys will be available later on in, in the middle of the first round. But that being said, after that, it's a bit of kind of open game. I've, I've kind of learned more and more team fours and where teams have these guys ranked in terms of edge rushers. And you'd be surprised how variable it is. Not every team really has Solomon Thomas as a top five guy. I don't think he does go there. But after that, guys like Jordan Wolves of Kansas State come up. Jacaris McKinley of UCLA comes up. Uh, Ty Fowler of Houston comes up. The guy I like a lot and think is worth the first round pick. I think he might go someplace in the 20s that a guy to watch out for. I think he fits Saints as well. Barrett Barnett obviously has some hits and misses for NFL teams. Some teams like that production. Some teams are worried that his skills don't really translate to the NFL level, especially with his length and athletic testing numbers. But the one guy 
we can talk about him more in detail, but I think a lot of buzz about that's going to be probably taken much earlier than many people in the media are projecting right now is Charles Harris of Missouri, a guy who comes from Missouri factory producing pass rushers. I know two teams that have top 10 grades on Charles Harris, and most teams are expecting wow. him to go someplace before the mid-20s. I think in the teams areas where he's likely even going, he'll go maybe higher than that. So I think while he didn't test well athletically, I think his athletic scores are really going to be in the low end of what you want to have as a pure 4-3 defensive end or a 3-4 outside linebacker. The team swear by a 2015 film, and in 2016 he was asked to do a bit more work on the interior, which is actually a good thing in terms of his experience and getting interior mm-hmm. pressure. I think he's a versatile guy to watch yeah. out for. If he's available for the Saints at 11, I think he's worthwhile to consider because he's a guy who can play both spots. Him, the character of the UCLA, the two guys I'd watch out for for the Saints if they want to go pass rusher. Yeah. What is the guy? Go ahead, uh, I was just going to say, I-, I love both those guys. Um, but between the two of them, I think Harris is definitely the more polished. Um, Tack, if, if you watch his college film, at least from what from what I saw, he won, uh, I'd say, 80%, 90% of the time just on the fact that, dude, I'm more gifted than you. I mean, that, that was really what it was. He is one of those guys with an insanely high ceiling, but there's some very obvious flaws technique-wise, which depending on where you are as an organization can actually be a positive because you look at him and you go – he had this level of production and has no idea what he's doing. If I can teach him what to do, what level of production can he hit? Yeah, and that brings me to a, a question that, that I want to – the thing I like about your draft guide, Eric, and I downloaded it's go to Optimum Scouting People. It's 10 bucks, and he's got it, – it's not just a paragraph on rating people. It's, it's analytics and quantifying quarterbacks. It's really – interesting stuff that I, I've liked. But the one thing I, that I want to talk about you know, of the defensive end is what is a guy that people like that maybe he has a, a flaw or something and, and, and scouts and teams that you talk to are like, we can fix that. That's going to be no problem. We're going we're gonna to get that correct and he's going to be great. And you're like, I don't think they're going to fix that. They, they, well, they and, just, I just, and so I mentioned to Karis McKinley earlier, I think it's it's important to keep in mind for guys like that. It, it, it's fun to project guys, right? NFL teams who are drafting are projecting what these guys are going to be. But it's important to kind of keep in mind that sometimes the translations, it gets lost on what that guy might do. And Karis McKinley is one of those guys mm-hmm. where some teams feel that they agree and that his upside is great. And he could be a top-end pass rusher because of what he's shown so mm-hmm. far and what he's not doing yet. On the other side of the coin, some teams wonder, is he just getting by athletically in one an isolated situation, and when he's asked to be a part of a team defense and work consistently in run fits, consistently as a part of a unit pass rush, work as a versatile passer, not just a one-on-one isolation guy, and develop more in his bend and his finishing ball in the perimeter, that's a real question mark. And the one game for DeKaris McKinley is actually why I noticed <clears throat> Garrett Bowles of Utah that game, I think, opened some eyes for me on both sides. One, I, I knew DeKaris McKinley had some first-round grades midseason. I watched that game twice, back-to-back, watching DeKaris mm-hmm. versus Garrett Bowles, and McKinley <clears throat> struggled mightily against Garrett Bowles. And that showed that Bowles was, A, for my opinion, the top offensive tackle in this draft class. I think for most teams, they agree at this point in terms of his NFL readiness and his overall offside. But also that McKinley against a real NFL offensive tackle, one of the few at the college level he's faced the last two years, he really struggled McKinley. I think that kind of shows that he's is he a project or is he not able to adjust mm-hmm. to the NFL level and just be a college great player. That's the one issue that we're about to care about McKinley. That's a big reason why some teams feel 
he's worthwhile to be a mid to high first round pick. <laughs> most most teams I talk to feel bottom of the first round grades. Do you feel like you know the, the the draft is they say it's 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 a really good defensive draft, but for the Saints, you know they they have eleven and they have thirty two, but feeling around with Saints and media and fans is that Malcolm Butler is going to get done some kind of way, and it's either going to be 42 or 32. And that- There are some things that are too good to keep a secret, like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed that range. So if the Saints go corner or something early, they they have to wait to get a pass rush reader at thirty two or forty two. So where's sort of the the drop off where you feel like a defensive end is sort of the cluster of if you don't get in the top five or six guys, the difference between cluster one and cluster two is Big and, and and how? What's the number of that drop off? Yeah, like you know, how many I, guys are? I, I think in terms of this draft class, I get what you're saying here. After the first three guys, there's a bit of a drop off, and I think from I guess between 11 and you're picking between 79, 80, you're getting pass rushers that could be a varying degree of success. I'm not saying that guys from 11 to 80 are the same player, but there are guys that are picking the third round that are going to have a form. Guys picked after those top three just based on the situation. The talent is not that great between those ranges. So I think if you're looking to kind of wait on pass rusher, waiting until the top of round two could make a lot of sense. That's more important to figure out, hey, what do the Saints really want in that pass rusher still part of their defense? And it's important to keep in mind, too, that the draft grades that we'll hear coming out, and even the ones I'm saying right now that I've been told, is based off of scheme fit. There are some players that I've talked to teams who are like, we know this guy, and almost every scheme is a second-round pick. We have a fist on him because we know he won't fit our scheme, but we know he's going to go there. So it's important to kind of keep that perspective, I think, for Saints fans as well. Unless you know what the Saints really grade that guy as, don't worry about other grades too much. But the same token, the grades on most pass rushers, regardless of, of scheme fit, is going to be a lot of guys in that second and third round area to kind of wait on those guys. So I think if the Saints want to wait, they can find a guy like Tyus Bowser, maybe at the bottom of the round one more likely, turning up for one, Derek Barnett. Tennessee could fall a little bit. And you have Derek Rivers of Youngstown State. Hassan Reddick could be in that late area. Deshaun Hall, if they want a bigger defensive end. This class is not just good because it has great depth. It's great because it has so many players that can play so many roles and be good at them in the second third round. That's why I think maybe wise to wait on pass rusher or cornerback, two of the deepest positions in this draft class. 
quite I, that was my next thing I wanted to get to corner um there, it seems to me there's so many good ones, and they sort of they sort of all blend together. And I have SEC bias because I'm, a, you know, we're Saints guys, and I'm a, I'm a LSU fan. So I look at White, and I see he, he he fascinates me, Eric, because I see him all over the place. I've seen him in, in mock drafts. I've seen him as high as eight for people I respect, and I see him as low as 42. The Saints getting him there. Him specifically, and the corner in this draft that you feel people are overlooking. Yeah, and Travis White's one of my favorite cornerbacks and one of my favorite players in this draft class. He's our number two ranked cornerback, just above Marlon Humphrey of Alabama to say in the SEC. And for us, he's worth a top twenty pick, excluding quarterbacks from our big board. And and with that, why he won't go that high is purely because I think of his height and his length efficiency and teams have become more and more a stickler for that. And I, I won't get too much of a tangent, but it's for good reason that teams are sticking with that six-foot and certain long length because historically it almost always pays off. There are very few quarterbacks who are successful under 5'11 or have the requisite arm length, so don't hate teams too much for sticking to that. But that being said, Travis White deserves Jason, Jason Verrett uh, comparisons in terms of being a late first-round quarterback who would be the best quarterback in this class, no question. I think it's really much to be a play. I think he's a great fit. If the Saints can get him, again, they're in that the Saints are in that great area where they can get a top end talent in that second tier at pick twelve or eleven, eleven, or they're going to miss on a lot of those first round guys at thirty two. So I think White can go someplace in that range. I wouldn't say they take him early on, but there's a handful of cornerbacks. I think really the same for cornerback when you get to the late first, early second round, through the end of the second, early third round, a lot of similar guys I think are worthwhile there. I think for the Saints, it's do you want an outside cornerback? Do you want to find a guy like Quincy Wilson of Florida? Do you want a slot guy like a Dory Jackson? Do you want to wait till round three and get a guy like Camp Sun of Tennessee? They can have a lot of versatile options because, again, like pass rush, I have to be repeating myself too much, but both of those positions yeah. are a lot of guys that can play different positions. That's why that, that position really has value this year. Brian, I want you to throw out some names to, to Eric on guys that you worry mm-hmm. about scheme fit for Saints that are sort of highly rated but may not but may not be a, a good fit for the Saints? Um, just for corner or p- position in general? Uh, start at corner, but you can go for position on defense. Um, one for corner, and, and this is it, – it's a little bit personal bias, but, but there is kind of a track record to, to back it. Um, even if he was – if even if he was there at 11, um, personally, I don't want anything to do with Humphrey. Um, I don't trust Alabama corners – in the first round. And it's not necessarily, you know, just because he can't play. It's more of, you're going to face a lot more adversity in that position at the NFL level than you will at Alabama, because you're not going to have an absolutely loaded front seven. That's it's shortening coverage times and how it helps change up the types of coverages you play. Um, You know, you can get beat on a play there and you're beaten three seconds by the wide receiver, but it doesn't matter because they got to the quarterback in 2.5. Um, and, and there's just there's all these little things. There's a longer adjustment period when you have a better front seven. And rookie corners tend to struggle. I mean, even look at Marcus Peters. He was not good until really after the bye week, his rookie season. And then he came on and he was incredible. Um, Eric, it's something how, how, is, how is Humphreys, how does he fare with the Minner who the Jets picked? Who D. Milner? Was, uh, does that... D. Milner, who was a disaster. 
how did how does he compare to yeah, him as a player? I, I think I it's important it's for not all, it's not it's not apples to apples necessarily. Yeah, Alabama cornerbacks I think have gotten kind of a bad rap a little bit. People forget that Kareem Jackson was in Alabama and he's been a long time yeah. before the NFL and I think the fact that Alabama puts a cornerback in the draft every year almost and some of them don't work out makes you like it's Alabama's fault. I mean, you can look at Michigan State and they've had a bad track record of mm-hmm. cornerbacks in the NFL, but we're not saying Michigan State guys aren't there for the NFL either. So I think that kind of Alabama bias is there. Part of it definitely in Alabama, why a lot of the defensive players struggle is because of kind of the practice schedule, the SEC wearing there that happens in a lot of SEC schools for a lot of prospects is that playing there for three years to start, and that's not Marlon Humphrey, but some players at Alabama and, and a lot of places like that are, are working in practice. And Nick Saban runs an NFL-type team, which, like NFL players, wear down through college kids. That's certainly part of it. The Marlon Humphrey, you know, I've always been cautious to not, especially in terms of guys who play in a different system almost, not going to cut Marlon Humphrey because D. Miller failed in the NFL. I think it's important for Saints fans or whoever fans to realize that, that it's not Humphrey's fault. That being said, and Humphrey is remarkably talented. He's actually just one spot behind Travis White, number 17 overall on our big board for the season over with. Because ability to play away from his frame is fantastic. I think he's able to stay physical without getting over his contact, working downfield. I think he's shown press ability. And the benefit of playing a Nick Saban's defense, like all these guys benefit from, is that and it changes year to year, but it's so hybrid all the time. And that's what they get experience-wise. They, Marlon Humphrey has experience transitioning to the slot based off of emotion. He has experience press. He has experience in cover three. I think he may be best in kind of a hybrid cover two, cover three, a cover six defense, if you will, because he can do both well, but neither one special. But I think his ability to stay physical, to stay balanced, to keep his receiver in control consistently is why I think he's super valuable on the NFL level. And, you know, Dean Miller had his issues. I'm not sure. I didn't think Jim Miller, like most politically, went too high in that draft class. But no matter what, he was going to be a bust. Again, I don't want to compare the two guys. Humphrey's his own player. But now in the defense, I've set him yeah. up for success in the NFL. I think if the Saints did take him in the middle of the first round, I'd feel very confident he could be in the NFL for a long time. Uh, Here's, I have a th- I have a theory, uh, Eric, about what the Saints, f- how they feel about the linebacker draft. And you can tell me I'm crazy. Believe me. But I believe the Saints looked at the linebacker draft in the NFL this year and were like, it's not so great. We're going to sign a bunch of veteran guys and hope to hit on veteran guys because we're better at that anyway. Because of that, and the linebacker draft is kind of weak, uh, so we need to load up in free agency. Is that a fair – would that be a fair assessment for the 2017 linebacker class? Yes or no. I think I think Ruben Foster would be there in the mix of the Saints in the first round. Zach Cunningham's going to be a guy who I thought for a while might go first round. I'm hearing a lot of second and third round grades. I think they're second round, so – and those two linebackers in terms of inside guys could be viable. And certainly a pass rusher has a lot of opportunities there. Not a great class, but I think more importantly, what free agency does for teams like the Saints who are, for lack of a better term, rebuilding, or I guess retooling, it's about using free agency to shore up enough needs that it's not dictating your draft strategy. And the Saints have done that well enough this year, and a lot of teams have been smart about that. The Cleveland Browns, for example, makes sense. They invest a lot in their offensive line. That's no longer an issue for them in the NFL draft. They don't have to address that if they don't want to. I think for the Saints, if a linebacker is there, Ruben Foster is there at 11, and the rest of their guys are gone, they may take Ruben Foster despite their kind of filling that need, but they don't need one now as well. I think, not to change the subject, but I think that kind of opens the door for offensive tackle, which could be one of their biggest needs to address quietly in this draft class because of where Teron Armstead's at, Zach Street's 
getting older as a right tackle. Really, no guys are yeah. all behind them. No, I think kind of, I think filling right. linebacker in free agency allows them to reach or take an offensive tackle earlier because they don't have a linebacker to fill. So, I think it's another draft capital kind of spending money in free agency doesn't really improve that position, but it makes that position not an issue this year and allows you to invest in guys long-term for a draft class. So I mean, it makes more sense why they invest in linebacker and free agency, why they may be passed on linebacker in the draft class. Yeah. Uh, now we get to talk about uh, something that the Saints have sort of been kicking around for the last few years. They picked Grayson in 2015 in the third round. Uh, but, Brian, quarterback. And this quarterback class – I look at it, and whenever, Eric, whenever I see guys that are like one-year players like Trubisky and Mahomes that they're talking about first-round pick or top 15, and I haven't heard about them, and I don't really know them, and I didn't hear a ton about them in the fall, not that that, that, that's that's a death nail, but to me it's a red flag, and is this draft really going to have two or three quarterbacks go in the top 15? Yes. Um, well, at least, yeah. at least two. At least two, and uh, there's a real chance that Deshaun Watson falls on draft day, but I think he'll be, he'll be in the mix to be one of the top quarterbacks taken and probably can win the top 20 picks. And I think what's really important is that not only is this quarterback class, I think, a bit underappreciated because there's no first overall guys. And look, in the last three, last four years, we've had quarterbacks go 1-2. I think we've kind of gotten used to that in the NFL draft nowadays. And quarterbacks aren't going 1-2 with a bad quarterback class. Mitch Trubisky certainly has his worth. He's our fourth-rated quarterback. That being said, I think his clear path to the NFL success is there. In one year, he's shown so much in terms of mm-hmm. kind of the instincts, the anticipation, the flashes you see consistently almost every game. It's not all there yet, and I give you want him back for another year. But you can see Trubisky like, all right, I know what this guy is. I've seen guys like him be successful in the NFL. That's why he's so highly viewed by teams. Yeah. He's going to be in the top ten picks. And, yeah. I think for Saints fans, the Saints are along with the Chiefs, along with the Texans, as three teams that have a quarterback now but need to invest in one for the future. The Chiefs and the Texans are absolutely looking at these quarterbacks long and hard. The Texans are going to hope one falls to them. The Chiefs, I'd be surprised if they didn't move up for one of these quarterbacks because it's the year this year to take advantage of quarterbacks who are Don't forget Arizona either. And Arizona as well is a good one as well. Teams looking in the top ten who should take quarterbacks are going to pass because it's not a great quarterback class. That opens the door for teams in the middle of the first round, the end of the first round, to take advantage. So that's why I think Trubisky, Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson will all go someplace in the top 15 picks. I think if one of those guys falls, it's going to be Deshaun Watson. And then we'll see three or four guys going round two as well. It's an underappreciated quarterback class. I think for the Saints, we saw what happened with Dallas and Tony Romo. You don't know yeah. when a guy's time is up. And I think Breeze has shown he's been – impenetrable to missing games. He's so efficient still in the pocket and, and avoiding sacks that are not on him. It's really impressive, but you don't know when that time's going to come. And like the Cowboys, you don't have to take one around one. You can take one around three or four and hope you get lucky. But I think if you're the Saints, you've kind of played with this situation a little too long, I think, and finding a guy to really develop and say, you know what, he's our guy for the future, whether it's now 2018, 2019, or an Aaron Rodgers in three years situation like in Green Bay, you take a guy now. I think if you like Trapisky or Watson or Mahomes, or wait till round two, like Nathan Peterman and Brad Kaya. I think they do it this year. I'd be surprised if they didn't take a quarterback somewhere in the top three rounds, as long as the guys don't go rationally high. Me and Brian were talking about this uh, when we were preparing for this podcast, and 
I can't remember it. Kaiser for Notre Dame, I cannot remember a coach coming out and saying he's not ready. Not only is he not ready on the field, he's not really ready off the field, and he needs to grow up. Uh, did that sort of not that he's was was thought of as a top, but is that sort of firebombed his draft stock? I feel like Ke- Brian Kelly threw him under the bus. Absolutely. Kind of a Brian Kelly. Move. I, I, yeah, I think Brian Kelly is is in large part the reason that Deshaun Kaiser isn't talked about more as a top player. And you know, we've I have my reservations with Deshaun Kaiser for a lot of reasons in season, but kind of towards the end of the year and then talking with scouts, the whole process now. You know, our feeling on Deshaun Kaiser was that this guy has a lot of issues in the fourth quarter and decision making and a lot of these like in almost intangible parts on the field play, if that makes sense. What's going on behind the scenes here? And certainly you hear about the Notre Dame situation and then Brian Kelly comes out and defends Malik Zaire and then bad mouth to Sean Kaiser in season at a press conference. That's certainly noticeable. That's going to affect a kid like Sean Kaiser who had his own family issues this past year and then in years past. That kind of stuff kind of affects our grade and then we kind of end the year on a mid to late second round grade kind of ending the season. But more and more I talk to people in the draft process, the fact that his head coach is not giving him a strong recommendation is very worrisome, and I think that's going to be a big deal for NFL teams because almost every coach will defend almost every player in the draft that year. It seems to be more honest than others, but very rarely doesn't happen. The one exception I do know is that I spoke with coaches at Michigan State who did not defend Connor Cook, and that was a big red flag, and that's a big reason why he fell on draft day as well as being a little overrated. I think Deshaun Kaiser and Brian Kelly's relationship is a big reason why Deshaun Kaiser is not looked favorably upon by NFL teams. Well, one thing, I mean, me and Brian will tell you, I know he's not a quarterback, but, you know, Marcus Colston in 06, he went to the combine with his agent and ran and ran well. And him and his agent were high five and they're like, you ran well, you're going to be picked in the mid rounds. And the coaches at Hofstra badmouthed them and it mattered a lot. And he fell to the seventh. Um, so it, so it's a big thing. But great for the Saints. <laughs> Brian, I know you have some some interesting opinions about the running back, so I'd like you to to bring up some names that you want to talk to Eric about. I, well, first of all, I really like this running back class. I mean, there's a lot of talk about how running back is a you know a dead position in the NFL, or or if it's obsolete. I think that's totally out the window. What what I think is, has happened is is you have so much talent at running back that comes in every year, and you have guys that can fit into these systems, whereas instead of one back. Where it, where it used to be, where you had one guy, that was your bell cow back, he's getting 20 to 25 carries a game, and it's his system. They're they're running these multi-back multi, multi back systems and two-back sets, and they're putting guys out in, into the slot, and they're moving them around, and they're using these new systems, and you don't have guys a lot around the league who can just dominate a game and can do everything, so you never want to take them off the field. Like You have a guy like Le'Veon Bell who terrifies defenses. But there's not a lot of those guys, and there haven't been a lot of those guys in recent drafts. Like, you know, Zeke Elliott last year was one of those backs where you took one look at him in college and you went, no, that guy can play on Sunday. And not just play, he's going to make noise. Um, uh, A couple of backs in this class really jump off the film like that. Leonard Fournette's a freak. He's... And it's not I'm saying that they're the same player, but parts of his game, he, he, he reminds me of almost an Earl Campbell type with a little bit more agility. And obviously not the same build as Earl Campbell, and maybe not even that powerful, as strong as Fournette is, because Campbell was like getting hit by an 18-wheeler. Um, 
but just you know, similar running style, big, powerful guy. It, it's you see a lot more shiftiness nowadays. A lot more guys are in the the LaShawn McCoy mold. Um, I like Dalvin Cook, but the the fumbling issues really concern me. Uh, my personal favorite back in this draft, though, is is Christian McCaffrey. I, I think the hardest thing to tackle, especially in open space, but in general, is a guy who's fluid. Everyone can tackle a guy if you can get him squared up. If if I can get you squared up one on one, and I've got you right in front of me, if I can't tackle you, I shouldn't be on the field. And the the backs Eric. that have lower issues with getting injured, but also able to get more extended yards and break more big plays are guys who can create glancing blows. They can shift their body, yeah. they can shift weight, they can move the defender, and they can make it so they never get a clean shot yeah. on them. McCaffrey has Is, that. You can't teach it. Who's a, Do you think, Eric, of the running backs, give me one that you think teams are sleeping on, and give me one that you think teams might overdraft yeah i think the one guy that we have written higher than teams i've spoken with um i guess the two guys are marlon mack of south florida and deonta foreman of texas they're actually our fourth and fifth ranked running back in the draft class uh i think max ability he's been a starter at south florida for three years tremendously explosive in the open field but also a very smooth runner a guy who changes directions effortlessly He's not as quick twitch as Jamal Charles is, but I think his open field ability and his second level, third level ability, especially as a pass catcher, and his readiness there reminds a little bit of Jamal Charles in that instant impact role. I think he'll be someplace on early round three. I don't think he leaves the first two days of the draft, despite not a lot of pre draft buzz yet from other major mm-hmm. media types. And then Deontay Foreman of Texas is a guy who produced only one year. I think he has some question marks, but a lot of the same question marks he has are the ones that Le'Veon Bell had out of college. I think Foreman's going to be able to get a lot better in the NFL. I think he could develop as a pass catcher. Was not have to do that really in college. I think he had four receptions all of this past year, uh, which is not a lot for running back coming in the league. That's going to be more and more pass-heavy. But I think those are two guys that I'm pretty bullish on moving forward. And then the guy that teams seem to like a lot as a top-of-the-second-round guy is Alvin Kamara of Tennessee. I think teams see a lot of Mark Ingram and him, a guy who can be a lot better at the, sec- at the NFL level than he was in college, does everything pretty well. A guy who finishes the linebacker contact, works through safeties, Get to the second level with enough power, enough balance, lower body control to be worthwhile in the second round. So I think he's going to be the favorite to be the third, the fourth running back taken, maybe the third above Dalvin Cook in the second round. But I think we'll see Fournette go top five, top six, top eight at worst. I think McCaffrey goes someplace in the teams. Dalvin Cook may slip to the late 20, even out of the first round. And we'll see Alvin Kamara go someplace in the second round as well. Uh, you know, as Saints fans, obviously, we're like, we want the quarterbacks to go high. We want offensive players to go high. And your your thoughts on the quarterbacks got me real excited. I'm like, yes, three quarterbacks in the top in the top ten. That would be a dream. Who's a guy that you think on draft day, when everybody's watching, besides, I know you mentioned Harris of, of Missouri, but who's a guy that nobody's talking about in the top 12 that you think is going to slip in there? Because there's, there's, there's always a guy. Every, right, every year. There's, there's a guy, and people are like, what? Who's a guy that you think is going to go in the top 12 that people don't see it coming? Yeah, I, I think Charles Harris is a good one. Um, I haven't really reported that quite yet, so you guys are kind of the first people on Twitter to football and about kind of Charles Harris going that <laughs> high. But, um, but I think he, he's a good one. I think he really could crash the top 12, 15 picks. Um, it's not being kind of considered the bottom half of the first round guy, but I know a lot of teams in the top ten like him. 
I think there'll be a team in the top 10 picks that takes an offensive tackle. Um, I know some people, when I spoke in the league, kind of find that right team. I know two teams that are really considering offensive tackle, despite it not being a clear need on their depth chart. I think one of the offensive tackles, probably Garrett Bowles, but it could be Cam Robinson, Alabama. It could be a top 10 pick. And, and those guys are considered top 10 picks, but with kind of the moves that the Jets made to get their offensive tackle and free agency, the Chargers did, the Browns obviously load up an offensive tackle in the free agency. I think teams kind of answer those questions in the short term, but a lot of these teams still want a left tackle to build around. So I think Cam Robinson and Garrett Bowles both could be top 12 picks. And then also Ryan Ramsey of Wisconsin. He's a guy who has a lot of Jack Conklin who went top 15 last year. So I think a bit limited. I think those three offensive tackles, one of which, maybe two of which, uh, will go someplace in the top 15 picks. Your 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 scenario sounds like a dream. If it, if two quarterbacks and two offensive tackle goes, that means the Saints could have their choice of really good defenders. That's exciting. That's ex- that's exciting. And I will me. say too for the Saints, the offensive tackle need is is a big one that I think Saints is there. maybe should prepare for a little bit. Them to go offensive tackle early. I don't think they want to go. They already have obviously Pete there, and he can do left tackle if need be. But they've had a lot of interest, whether it's in visits or off the record, from what I've been told, with a lot of these offensive tackles. And this offensive tackle class for the Saints, gripping and need long term, they need to invest in one sooner rather than later. There's only well, six or that... seven guys that are worth top four round picks in this draft class. The Saints yeah. want one. They have to get one before the fourth round for sure. Well, yeah, Zach Streif is at that point where he was, he, you know, he had he had battled some injuries, and last year he bounced back and he had a really good year. But he's old, and he's sort of in that he's sort of in that area range. And the same thing with Breeze is, you're sort of reached the point where you're on borrowed time, and it could go injury wise or performance wise at any minute. And you know, as Brian will tell you, in 2011 it happened with uh, with John Stinchcomb. He was the Saints' right tackle. And he played all of 2000, uh, 2010, and he went to training camp, and he was like, I can't go, I'm retiring. And the Saints just moved Zach Streif out, and it was fine. But you never know sort of when it was when it could go, and I think that's a great great. Yeah, player. I, I think, I think two linemen did that in 11. Early makes, makes a tough, tough situation yeah. if the offensive linemen go early because the, the, the more that go early is means the more the later ones in the second round are going to go early as well. So I think if you're a Saints fan – if you want to pass on quarterback, that's going to be a big benefit because the quarterback's going to go at least one ahead of them, mm-hmm. if not two. But offensive linemen, I think you want to get one of these top guys. You want these offensive tackles to fall a little bit because you want to get a guy like Taylor Moten of Western Michigan in the second round or Antonio Garcia, who's a lot like Teron Armstead on film, to be there in round two or three. So I think it's, the offensive tackle need is going to be a big one. If, if the Saints can for somehow, if they don't trade for Malcolm Butler, if they can address their pass rusher, cornerback, and quarterback situation in those first three picks and still get it off in the tackle in round four, that'd be the dream situation. But I don't think the Saints are going to want to do that on draft day with such a bad offensive tackle class. So any point for Saints fans, start watching some offensive tackles, check out the draft guide, read about those guys and how shallow it gets pretty quickly after the first five or six and hope the Saints can land one of those top guys for a good value. Before we get out of here, I want Brian, I want you to give me a guy, and Eric, I want you to give me a guy who's rated in the, say, 40 to 60 range that you are certain that you like, and in three years, people are going to be saying, he's really good, and he's a star, and a guy you just feel like teams have 
not that they're missing the boat, but they're just for whatever rating, for whatever reason, he's not rated as high as he should be. Uh, Brian, you go first. Okay, this one totally could blow up in my face, but <laughs> end of the second round, top of the third round range. Kevin King out of Washington is one of those upside guys. His ceiling, think athletic Richard Sherman. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he, he could be a guy where a team could take him and develop him, and in a couple of years, everybody's going, why the hell did everybody pass on him? <laughs> Eric, what's a guy you got? Yeah, and I'm Kevin King. I don't think he's going to last that long. I think he'll be someplace in the top 46, but he's certainly a good one. Um, one of the guys I've been kind of counting for a while on social media because I knew he was going to test well at the combine, had a really productive career at Kansas State, is Jordan Willis. He's a defensive end, probably going to be – a 4-3 defensive end at the NFL level, but tested. His combine numbers are identical, if not a little better, than Davion Clowney's was coming out of the draft class. Certainly Clowney has a bit more upside in terms of his length and everything he has to offer, but Willis is a guy who's remarkably productive at Kansas State, produced in a Big 12 that's really hard for true defensive ends to produce against quarterbacks in that quick-passing offense. Explosive, athletic, he doesn't have some bend issues, but he's one of our top 25-rated pass rushers. I don't think because of this talented class and other positions of need and that teams are going to pass on passes early, he won't be a first-round pick, but I think he's going to go somewhere in the early and mid-second round. Teams don't agree with me yet. I'm talking with teams to convince them to make sure they take him someplace <laughs> in the top 40 picks, but I think he'll be a guy who's going to go someplace in the mid to early second round. It's going to be a great play in the NFL. I think we're going to look back a couple of years and say, why did we not take what? this guy earlier, athletic-wise, production-wise? Impact-wise, character-wise, recommendation-wise, he checked all the boxes. He's going to be a great player in the NFL. Yeah, and listen, uh, uh, Eric, thanks for joining us. And guys, I, I I'm not just saying this because he because he's on the podcast. I have I have like ten draft guides, and some of them are good and some of them are bad. But his is really good, and that's why we had him on. Go to Optimum Scouting. Uh, you can you can you can follow you can follow Eric uh, on Twitter at Optimum Scouting uh, and go there. You can get the draft guide. It's ten bucks. Bo- it's ten bucks, and I it's going to be better than draft guys that you're going to pay two and three times more from name people or whatever. It's it's great. You're going to love it. And Eric, I can't thank you enough, guy, for giving us uh, actually more time than we originally had you scheduled for. Yeah, Thanks. and I appreciate that. On the draft guy, real us. quick, too, I got really appreciate having me on. This is great to talk to the Saints and have a little focus in my draft prep all the time and talk about one team, which is always great for me. The draft guy, hope you can check it out. Best place to find it is the top of Twitter page at Optum Scouting on Twitter. It's been on my profile page. It's on there and I just sent out to a bunch of NFL teams that hadn't gotten it yet. The NFL team read it. got a great track record of guys and often scouting teams from going to the NFL wherever else. That's kind of what the NFL teams are reading. Hopefully, you guys can get it too. It's got some analytics, man. It's got a report. It's got a lot of great stuff. We've been doing it for a while. We know the process. And like I said, NFL teams are buying it. Hopefully, you guys can too. But it was great to talk to you guys. I really appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, guy.